Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. to the global game here on SEN. I'm your host, James Dodd, back again this evening, filling in for Simon Hill. And tonight I'll be joined by someone who certainly knows how to find the back of the net, both club and country. The former Socceroo striker, current Gold Coast Knights head coach, Scott McDonald, joins me for the next hour or so. And we've certainly got plenty to discuss. As I say, plenty going on in the World Cup. We know it's continuing at some pace. The Selecao, the Samba Boys, Brazil put on another show, didn't they, overnight? 4-1 winners against South Korea. Croatia's old-timers are still going strong. They're through to the next stage of the World Cup. The quarterfinals after defeating Japan on penalties. And then we'll be doing a bit of a deep dive into youth development in the game here in Australia as well. So there is plenty coming up on the global game on SEN this evening. But for those of you who may have seen on, on social media throughout the day, there's uh, there's been a little bit of a big breaking story actually in the last an hour and a half, two hours or so, we knew that going into the game and going into this World Cup campaign that it was, of course, Graham Arnold was going to be, you know, under some pressure. Would his contract be extended or not? For more on that, we'll be crossing live to Doha to get the very latest soon. But Scotty McDonald, how are you? I'm very well. How are you, Dozzy? Yeah, very good. Very good. As I say, plenty to discuss this evening, Scotty. Not only that, but... You know, we'll touch on a, uh, how we move the, the debate on and, and push the needle on the Socceroos, you know, and, and that successful World Cup campaign. So plenty of action to discuss overnight. But Graham Arnold as well. We're going to be crossing live to Doha to Adam Peacock from Code Sports very shortly. Um, just very quickly, Scotty, what were your, your take so far on, on your initial reactions to the Socceroos World Cup campaign? Look, just like everyone else, very, very proud um, of the performances that they put in. Uh, look, we're all surprised a little bit as well in terms of going into this campaign. Um, the negativity around the team itself and, and Graham Arnold, you know, through the qualification process, will he keep his job? Um, you've got to say now what a turnaround and a short space of time for him. And he, he'll go down in history as one of the best coaches in Australian football now um, for the success that he's had at this World Cup and how he's galvanized the squad uh, with limitations as well. Let, let's be real about this in terms of the squad and, and, and what its capability on paper is. Um, he certainly managed to squeeze every single ounce of the, out of that squad. And uh, it's absolutely wonderful because now all of a sudden, 
football is back on the map in Australia and everyone's talking about it. Well, talking of the map, let's head to the Middle East, shall we? Let's head to Doha. The very latest on the contract negotiations with the, well, technically, ex-Socceroos head coach, given his contract has technically expired. Adam Peacock from Code Sports and SEN. Very warm welcome to the show. Adam, what can you tell us regarding Graham Arnold? Hello, gents. Uh, I can tell you that he um, is very much the number one priority for the Socceroos to, to take them to the 2026 World Cup after speaking to James Johnson hours ago. And the story's up on, on Code Sports now that, um, yeah, they, they, they basically had the plan that assess after the World Cup. Now, they didn't want to lock Arnold in for another four years before the World Cup. And you can understand that point of view because what if we come here and we get pumped? Now, it didn't happen. Arnie was going to always back himself. Now, it's advantage Arnold. In terms of negotiations, he's, he's got the bargaining power, you would think. But they're going to assess, they're going to review everything, and then they're going to sit down with Arnie and say, what do you want it to look like? What do we want it to look like? And move forward from there. Adam, in terms of, of Graham Arnold's mindset, you say obviously he has the bargaining power at the moment. Do you think that maybe there is a, there is a slight hint of him that would would potentially be interested in a return to club football? Or do you, do you think, you know, there is the argument from those I know within certain areas of the press pack that think, you know, maybe Graham Arnold should walk away on, on, on such a high. Where, where do you stand on that? Yeah, the... the... The big fill-up for him is, like, in terms of financially, I can't see how a club job comes up where it could compete with, say, an, the, the Australian job or definitely an overseas got Now, we, we haven't had confirmation about what nation is in for him, but I, I would be guessing that at least one of them would be in the Middle East region. Now, that that's when you're going to get the major fill-up. But does he want that? Totally different culture, totally different mindset of the players. He won't be able to do what he did with the and, and Scotty and Noah as well. He, the, the Middle Eastern nations, their, their mentality and their players, totally different mindset to what our boys have. And it's not not talking down on them. It's just different. So he, he, Arnold's got to think about exactly what he wants out of life, firstly. And he, I reckon he could go to, say, a Holland where he's got a really good reputation and, and, and he's got his main goose over there and everything like that. But he could walk into a club over there, no problems. But whether or not he wants to walk away from a project, because it, it, it's not like this is the end for this squad. There's a lot more to come, in my opinion. So, yeah, it's um, a, lot, a lot in his court. But importantly for him, he does have now the ability to... to kind of not write his own ticket, but put a few things in place that he definitely wants and he's got the power to do so. Realistically, Adam, do you think the um, the public perception may have changed towards Graham Honor? Because, you know, Scotty touched on it at the top of the show that, that going into this World Cup, he was much maligned by, by many, you know, fans and I suppose those within the game that weren't necessarily on board with his style of football. And, you know, you and I have spoken before about tournament football differs very much from, from qualification where it's about game plans for specific yeah. matches in, in the tournament. Do you think the public perception has swayed on Graham Arnold? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Um, so you, you've got you've got kind of two groups in Australia. You've got the general sporting public that just taps in and, and this is the group that it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next four years. Scotty's comment there about like the, the opportunity to grow and, and, and bring people into the game. Um, outside looking in, a lot, a lot of people look at Arnold and go, yeah, he's, 
he's really successful. He knows what he's doing. But inside the game, and those who follow it closely, it's like, oh, his tactics, oh, his mannerisms, oh, the way he handles himself in press conferences, it, it rubs people up the wrong way. Like, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that the guy, <laughs> I'm, I'm yet to find a player who's worked under Arnold as a head coach who has a massive issue with the way he goes about his business. Now, that, to me, speaks volumes because usually you hear whinging about from players about managers. And it's very, very difficult to find a manager that whinges about Graham Arnold and the way he does things. So, And you won't find one in the, the 26 that he's just had here in Doha. So, yeah, he's he's, he's earned the right, in my opinion, to to lead um, to lead the Socceroos. And I think now a lot, a lot more people within Australian football are kind of across what he's about now. It's finally um, dripped into their minds what, what this guy's about and what his approach is. Adam, Scotty Mack, I uh, hope the tan's working well over there in Qatar right now. Uh, it looks like you're having a good time out there anyway with all the games. Um, but look, obviously you you speaking to, to Graham, you know, after press conferences and, and particularly after the last one, what was your vibe? What was your sense? Obviously, we all know that it's just been such a ride and he's been focusing on that. But what was your sense? Was he asked the question at that point, would he stay on? Yeah, um, Scotty, first of all, my tan is not as good as your Gold Coast tan. <laughs> Let me put that right out there, um, front and centre. <laughs> um, but I, I'll, work, I'll work on it when I get back to Oz and, and the Northern Beaches right. in Sydney. But no, I, I, I got the impression overall, like like you, when, you, when you talk to these guys at a tournament, you, you can easily, as part of the press pack, you can easily get swept up in the bubble. And like all the little things that are going on, I, I tried to t- kind of take a step back and go, okay, what, what's what's really going on here? And I get the feeling that at the end of it all, he, he just needs a break. He, he's, he's invested so much emotionally into what's happened. And he, and he is an emotional guy. He, he does care about what people say about him. He does care about what people think of him in general. He's, he's just that personality. So... I think the best thing for him is what he's done. He's, he's gone off to England with his wife's family. He's going to enjoy Christmas over there. He won't be, he won't have the tan of me or you, Scotty. Let me no, tell you that. Won't. But um, <laughs> what he will have is is hopefully a bit of clarity. And he, he can ease up. He can go for a beer. He can just go and watch some football without having the pressure of, oh, is this guy going to be fit? And he can just unwind a little. And I think that's very much needed. It, it, it was an exhaustive campaign with the pandemic, with everything thrown in. Um, to do what he's been able to do, you go back four years and you say to us football people in 2018, oh, he's going to qualify for the Olympics. He's going to beat Argentina at the Olympics. And when they get to the World Cup, they're going to get out of the group and play Argentina and push them all away. You'd bite your hand off about that. So, yeah, I, I think he, he needs to take a step back and, and, and assess those achievements as well as much as anyone else. That's a very good point, Adam. Just uh, just finally, the Socceroos have, have touched back down in, in Sydney and in Melbourne. I was there at the airport when the, they received a great fanfare. Just personally for you, how's the, how's the tournament been for you? What's your experience been like? Yeah, good. Um, as a footballing experience, I don't think you can get it any better. I've, I've just looked at all the... the you, you get these little tickets when you go to games as the part of the press and I've got 17 of them. I've been to 17 games of, um, of World Cup football so as a football experience it's been mind-blowing as a cultural experience it's been intriguing so I'm, I'm going to do a piece on on just the landscape here in, in Qatar and if, if indeed having this tournament here is actually going to change anything socially if Qatar wanted to change socially who knows but 
No, it's um, it's been eye-opening. And I must say, on the ground, like I've been to a lot of football, the complete like acceptance of different cultures in the one place and the complete lack of aggro. And I think you can put it down to one element, and that's <laughs> the lack of alcohol has been really, really apparent. So, no, it's, it's been... Um, been very very interesting adam peacock for code sports and sen of course appreciate the update and safe journey back cheers guys have a good one all the best adam all the best well it is time scotty now for today's hot topic for guzman y gomez fast food that athletes say yes to now i want to pick your brains on this one scotty i'm going to read you a couple of quotes because this has been you know aside from the socceroos angle this has been a um a topic that's been you know this this caused an unnecessary fuss, I think, over the last couple of days. So Arsene Wenger, you know, everybody in football will know him for, for his, his achievements in the Premier League with Arsenal. Um, for me, and, I, you know, cards on the table, I am an Arsenal fan. Um, I think he's somewhat tarnished his, his legacy here with these quotes. Now, Arsene Wenger is the FIFA's head of global development. OK, mm-hmm. so he came out completely unprovoked in a, in a press conference a couple of about 48 hours ago now and said this. You know that when you go to a World Cup, you know you can't lose the first game. The teams who have the experience to perform in tournaments like France and England played well in the first game. The teams who were mentally ready with a mindset to focus on competition and not the political demonstrations. Now, we all know what he's talking about. I think that's a a jibe, you know, a a verbal barb, if you like, at Germany in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I think, you know, tying into the Socceroos and the video they released before the tournament, looking to, to you know, expose and, and shine a light on the human rights abuses in Qatar, in, in especially in, in the you know the build up to this this World Cup tournament. Then you have the story that came from SBS's Ben Lewis around Tim Cahill and the you know reluctance from Tim to answer certain questions about you know his links with Qatar and the work he's doing there and and how that might be a conflict of interest with his role with within Football Australia and the Socceroos. Um, for you. Scotty, it's a difficult question because, you know, I'm sure you probably know Tim and you've played with Tim, but does this this tie with Qatar that, that Tim has, does that somewhat tarnish his, his legacy a little bit, given that, you know, he is a player and he is a, a beacon of Australian football that fans look to and they would love, you know, honest opinions from. Does, does that kind of affect the way people might judge Tim, do you think? Mm, sport and politics getting mixed up together is never... a an easy one or a good idea, is it? Um, firstly, talking about Arsene Wenger's com- comments and, and poking the bear and actually bringing it back to light um, about these different you know, politics within what's been going on outside of actually the football side of the, this competition, this tournament, um, was quite interesting and odd, to say the least. Mm. Um, was it a case of pleasing his employees? Looks that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, pretty poor jibe, I must say, as well. Obviously... With our Socceroos, obviously standing strong within that um, that that cause itself. Uh, with Timmy as well, look. In terms of ruining legacies and whatnot, the, the reality is before the question is asked to Tim, we all know what the answer is going to be because of who he's aligned with. So again, it's just a poke and it's a giant. Look, a reporter has to to ask these questions. He has a right to ask these questions. However, we don't know, you know, if Ben had mentioned it off air. Um, to Tim that this was going to be said or he had been noted as well saying don't ask me about these certain questions or else this is the the response you're going to get I'll walk away now that could have been a possibility I reckon it probably was and I think a lot of the 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 ex-players that have been aligned with the Qatar process throughout this whole period and 
Look, there's no one more so than David Beckham that's been in the light. And, yeah, and absolutely. We talk about, um, you know, people sort of saying, oh, it's disrespectful that he's part of this, this, that. And it. Unfortunately, with these things, they blow over. They blow over within, you know, three, four weeks. It's just human nature and life. You know, at the moment, it's a story. But, um, you know, give it another month or so and Timmy comes back to Australia I don't think there's going to be anyone asking questions about his allegiances and, and where they lo- lied over that tournament itself. And this isn't anything new that we, we didn't already know that, that Tim was a part of, um, you know, the Qatar process and, and actually lives there and stays there and is a part of the Aspire Academy. So us poking the bear at this time is an interesting time. But yes, it has to be us because we're at the tournament itself. Um, have we been able to ask him prior to this? There has been upheaval or unrest about... Um, him being aligned with it before this within Australian camp or within Australian media as well. And look, it's each of their own. Can he answer the question or can he be political about it? Absolutely. But he's chosen not to, and it's probably not a good look for him as well. Um, Unless Ben's caught him on the hop and not actually gave him the sense of that he was going to ask him anything about human rights and and whatnot. Um, And he's just walked away from it. So it never looks good when when you're in that situation as well um, and put on the spot. Um, so Timmy, Timmy's left himself in that that position now, where he's going to get criticised, um, but he's going to continue doing what he's doing as well. So it's it's a tough one when you're involved in that and you've chose a direction and a pathway, haven't you? Um, but we all know that already, and he's been criticised for it. And he will continue to do so as well. However, his legacy overall, I don't think um, in the society and in the world we we live on, you know, in today's world, that these things are going to get held against these individuals who have helped Qatar through this process, it will be after this tournament's gone, it will be all done and forgotten about, which is a shame because we're talking about these human rights and, and everything else that goes with this tournament and what's wrong with it. Um, but the process needs to continue a lot like our football in Australia and what we need to do to make it successful. Well, you've segued me perfectly there, Scott McDonald. That is what we'll be discussing in the next part of the program. Also, let us know what you think at home. Give us a tweet on at Global Game SEN. Let us know your thoughts as well. That is our hot topic. Thanks to Guzmani Gomez, home of clean, healthy burritos, bowls that athletes say yes to. This is the Global Game on SEN. Thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com. Broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. Mario Pasalic steps up against Gonda and he's put it down the left side and Croatia are through to the quarterfinals. Rafinha on the right flank, a nice little step over and then opens up some space on the right side, cuts across back in. Neymar missed it. Vinicius. What a finish that is. First goal. What a finish that is. Vinicius Junior. He is the new name of Brazilian football. Neymar bounces the ball off his head two, (laughs) three times. It was Richarlison. Cut back. Richarlison's in behind. Oh my word. That is Brazilian beauty. Quick passing around the box, intricate, in, out, front, back, Richarlison, one-on-one with the keeper, and he just stroked the past. Brazil 3, South Korea 0. Here's Neymar up the left, Vinicius Jr. Scary. Back inside the area again, clips it over the top, and the shot comes in. Oh, Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, what a result for Brazil this morning. Welcome back to the global game. Thanks to Kraken.com, your secure crypto partner. Get in the game at Kraken.com. Broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 
2022. James Todd and Scott McDonald, your host for tonight's show, The Global Game on SEN. Scotty, let's start with Brazil, shall we? Let's uh, recap the round of 16 clashes from this morning. Brazil 4, South Korea 1, as you heard there from the boys. The Selecao, the Samba boys certainly living up to their name. We'll get onto the Samba element of that just shortly. But Scotty, did that result this morning for you cement them as tournament favourites? Yes, I think they're they're one of one of a couple actually, Dodzy. I think it's so hard when we get to this part of the tournament now to actually pick out and out favourites because as you know and I know, it just takes one special moment within a game to change it and, and, and you're out the competition. So you always have to be at your very, very best now and you need to be coming into form and well, if anything of that first half to to go by with Brazil, it was wonderful, isn't it? Particularly that third goal with Richarlison. Uh, and can you believe it was the two centre-backs that were actually linking up on the edge of the opposition's 18-yard box to to link that ball up for Richarlison. Wonderful first touch and then just slides it with his left foot. And they were superb to watch that first half. Second half took the foot off the gas. And actually, you know what? South Korea could have could have had a couple more if it wasn't for Allison. Allison had a couple of good saves. And oddly, he'd come off with 10 minutes to go, which was quite a weird one. But um, look, they're, they're looking very good. And obviously, they play Croatia in the next one. And it's a really good tie for them, albeit Croatia. Have a have a great run in this tournament, and uh, you know, have have a habit of uh, you know pushing teams to the limit. So this ain't going to be an easy one for them. No, it's absolutely uh, just absolutely spot on what you say there with Brazil in particular. Richarlison gets, you know, he's had an outstanding tournament so far for Brazil. It, not just you know the goals that he scored, because for me he has scored two contenders for goal of the to- goal of the tournament, especially that that you know the third goal, the third man run that he made after juggling the ball, you know, on his head, what three bounces I think it was. But the question I've got for you, Scotty, is that they brought Neymar back into the team. Do you think there is an argument to suggest that actually they play just as well without Neymar than when they've got Neymar in the side? Look, that's easy to say that uh, because we've seen one result and, and it was positive. Uh, he changed everything for the Cameroon game, the the, the last game before you know, of the group stages itself. I think what Neymar gives you and what I like about him, though, Dodzy is the fact that in a 1v1 situation scenario, he is still willing and looking to take it past you. Mm. How many players in this tournament do we see do that? Not very many. You know, in terms of, you know, Ronaldo and, and Messi now in their twilights of their career, they were guys that used to do that and set them apart. Mbappe's the other one. Dembele's another one. They're the guys you pay money and you want to come watch. Now, is there a heavy reliance within uh, the Brazilian squad when he does play and then everything has to come through? Possibility, there's an argument for that as well. Um, and sometimes the play should go elsewhere. Um, but it's looking like the balance between the first game of the tournament and even this one, that he's filling the role and he's playing for the team. Uh, and he's giving them something different. And he's creating a lot of other spaces for, i.e., the likes of Rafinha and Richarlison. And, and we've got to remember, Richarlison was probably, you know, like you said, heavily sort of from particularly British media, was like, well, he's not scored a goal for Tottenham. Yeah. So what, why is he getting picked? Um, but he certainly hit this tournament with a bang, and some of the goals, like you said, he scored have, have been superb. Yeah, he has, and I think if you look at the, the the front three, like you touched on there, that would play behind the striker, they are as deadly as any in the tournament. Maybe you might think of England's are up there as, uh, you know, maybe not quite at that level, but France's is very, very close. They're going to run them close. Very quickly, Roy Keane. We know Mr. Grumpy over in the UK has been uh, has been well. He's in Qatar at the moment. Is he working for for ITV? He's been very very vocal about Brazil's dancing samba celebrations. Where do you stand on it? Is it disrespectful? 
No, no, it's the Brazilian way. We, we all know that. I think that's just a headline. I think Roy King was being facetious, to be perfectly honest. Surely I not. think he was. Oh, <laughs> yeah, if you watch enough of him, we know he's looking for that headline as well. And I think it was one of those moments as well. He knows as well as we do that that's what Brazilians do. And I don't think Tite had much option, did he, in terms of the, the whole group <laughs> surrounded him and more or less forced him into it. You know, <laughs> it looked a bit silly if he sort of shrugged them off. So. Um, look, I think it's wonderful that they bring a happiness and a smile. And we've see, even seen in the tournament itself, when they're coming into the off the bus, they've all got their different instruments yeah, and they're yeah. all playing the music and they're having the samba style and they're trying to bring that back to the World Cup and bring that back to their philosophy and identity that I think they've lost probably in the last couple of World Cups in terms of how they play their football and, and what they're all about. They almost became a destroying team. You know, there wasn't that flair, that flamboyance. Um, in the last couple of tournaments from them, you'd have to argue. So um, it's nice to see them back to how we believe that the Brazilians are and how they play in those bright yellow shirts everywhere on the pitch and not a pleasure if you're playing against them, I can tell you that. Yeah, it's just a beautiful flashback, isn't it? To, it reminds me of sort of 98, 2002, you know, just when they had Ronaldo and Rivaldo, Carlos, Cafu, those Ronaldinho. sorts of players. You had Ronaldinho who had that sort of vibe about them. Well, they have booked their place in the quarterfinals, Scotty. They will meet Croatia Saturday morning, 2 a.m. Eastern. You can catch that one live on SCN. Um, Croatia did it the hard way, getting past Japan on penalties. But is this the Croatian style that we've come to know in terms of they can they go under the radar, they can make these runs mm -hmm. deep into tournaments? Have you been impressed with the Croatians? Uh, no, I haven't been impressed by them. I haven't. I think they've lacked... Uh, you know, that, that final product, scoring goals is a problem for them. They, yes, they scored goals against Canada, but the previous two games in the group stage as well, they struggled. They finished nil-nil in those games. Yes, that wonderful goal from, we have to add Perisic's header this morning. Oh. My goodness, that puts him now second second equal uh, highest top scorer ever for Croatia. Obviously, Davosuk is well ahead of him, but he, he equals Mandzukic now. And he's been a wonderful player for Croatia, sort of now at the, the end of his career, like so many of the other Croatian players itself. And look, I think this is a big, big ask for them. And I, I had said before the Japan game that that would be a draw and it would go to penalties. And I fancied Croatia to have the steal to, to win it. I said nil-nil because I just didn't think there was any goals. But obviously both of them getting a goal, Croatia do well to, to get that, that goal back. It's just a worry for me that they don't have enough now. The, the likes of Mandzukic is gone. Kramaric is trying to fill that role, but just not the same type of player that they've had previously. Obviously, Guardiola at the back's wonderful. They've still got some excellent talent coming through as well. Um, and, I, and I expect them to push the Brazilians all the way in terms of they'll hold the possession. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting one. It will be, as you say, Croatia against Brazil. Short turnaround time for that, for them as well. Saturday morning at 2 a.m. Eastern. We'll touch on the remaining round of 16 clashes later on the show. But before we head to the break, let's get the team. Uh, let's head to the team from Stats Insider for their plays tonight. Thanks to Betfair. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Stats Insider is Australia's leading predictive analytics website covering all the big sports and events, including the FIFA World Cup. We're partnered with Betfair for the 2022 World Cup to bring you the latest odds and data-driven insights for tomorrow morning's matches in Qatar. Our predictions are based on 10,000 simulations of each match using the power of machine learning and data to find value in the market. First up, we have Morocco against Spain in the round of 16. Morocco to make the round of 16 was one of the model's best plays in the group stage. While Spain is heavily favoured in this one, the model is continuing that trend and thinks there is a little bit of value in Morocco's price to win at $7.60 at betfair.com.au. Our fair odds here at $6.17, which means we're down to 3% edge against the best price available on the exchange. 
Next, we have Switzerland taking on Portugal for a place in the last eight. And again, despite Portugal being favourite, the model has found a bit of value in the outside of being Switzerland. So we're currently $4.70 to win at betfair.com.au, which is a 3% edge at our fair odds of $4.11. But if you still think Portugal will prove too strong, the model is also picking up some value in the over two and a half goals in this match at betfair.com.au, where you can currently get $2.24. Our fair odds are $2.12, which is another 3% edge. Visit statsinsider.com.au for data-driven projections and analysis during the FIFA World Cup and visit betfair.com.au for the best odds and markets throughout the tournament in Qatar. That update thanks to Betfair. Don't settle for the odds given. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Yeah, welcome back to the Global Game. Thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. That's Kraken.com. Broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. James Dodd and Scott McDonald here with you on SEN. It's now time to welcome our special guest for the evening to help us delve even deeper into the youth development discussion. It's the former Socceroo, our now St. George City Technical Director, Atec Gensch. Good evening to you, Atec. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, very well, thanks, Atec. Atec, since your, your retirement, you've, you've essentially spent the last two decades working in, in management and in particular youth development with the likes of you know, Sydney United, St. George FC, Sydney FC, you name it, the list goes on. So I want to get right into the heart of the issue with you, Atec. Does the fact that the young players starring in particular you know, at the World Cup for the Socceroos show that, that youth development is in a good place in Australia at the moment? Oh, I'll tell you what, that's a long discussion, boys, because uh, <laughs> you know, there are people who would say it is, others would say it isn't. Um, yeah, I mean, we'd probably need a, a few days to talk about that. But look, we've got some great players in this country. I think uh, there's so many talented young Australian players, and it's just about how we nurture them and you know how they, what systems they're coming through and pathways and so on and so forth. And maybe trying to unify what's happening in the country. You know, we've got various... Uh, issues at the moment uh, uh, with regards, you know, you've got private academies on one side, you've got, um, you know, skill acquisition programs, you've got NPL, different structures and so on. But um, I suppose, um, you know, if you had to analyse it, you look at these Garan Quolls and all these guys coming through the ranks, we just got talent. And how do we get the best out of this talent that we have? So that's the big question. Hey, thanks. Scotty Mack here. Nice to have you on the show. Um, just in terms of, obviously, your experience now, particularly at NPL level, um, we ha- I'm up in Queensland now. We have an issue with obviously Brisbane Raw now not having an academy. They've decided to disband it. Um, in terms of your kids, though, when they come to you and, and they ask you if they ever have, if they have actually asked you, what is my pathway? How do I get to be a Joey or a young Socceroo? Because obviously that's the first steps. What's the answer to that? What 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 can you tell them? All right, so look, in my space at St. George, I spent 11 years as the head of football for the St. George Football Association. I know that not every state has that. But uh, we have 23, we had 23 clubs under our banner. Uh, it was important for us to establish an MPL pathway that included, you know, coming, getting kids out of the grassroots space through into the skill acquisition SAP space and then into NPL and then senior football. So, yeah, we try to create those pathways. And a lot of those pathways do exist in New South Wales. I think in Victoria, it's more club-based. And I'm not sure exactly how it works up in Queensland, which uh, that's your space. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just to unify all that. Um, so for us, it's about, you know, the young age groups, um, you know, other grassroots clubs doing the right thing. Um, you, know, you know, kids at that age who just have fun and, you know, have encouraging parents and so on. And, you know, as long as you provide an environment for them to thrive, that's fine. 
But um, you're always going to get the talented kids. They're the ones you need to identify and then put them through that pathway system. That's what we've always done. Um, and then I suppose the issue, guys, is, you know, then you so they get into the skill acquisition program phase and then we talk about costs of football and so on. Because if you come out of a grassroots space and go into a SAP space, you know, your fees might go from $300 to $1,500. So that's one argument um, where people will say, um, you know, that doesn't work. But at the same time, we need good people to work in the game because without it, you can't teach the technical skills uh, to these kids that, you know, that, that they need. So, you know, there's there's so many things that are happening in the game that they need improvement. How did we do it prior, though, ATEC? When we grew, how did we do it prior? Then I know I know things evolve and move on, but how did we do that before now? You're saying we need good people to coach, and that it saps the way forward for that, or MPL through coaches who have got license. How did we do it before, and how was it successful? Why? Well, that's, was, that's the biggest was, question. Exactly, and it was all on the street, wasn't it? We played in the backyard. I mean, I, like you, Scotty, you know, you go home, you know, after after school, you wouldn't think about anything else. You no. just, you know, grab a slice of bread, go out and play football for four Absolutely. hours. Absolutely. Um, you know, they talk about replicating street football, but the world's changed. You know, they've got more distractions. You've got social media. You've got a lot of things happening. So, so the, you know, the world evolves. And so, you know, back then, you know, there were so many creative footballers, guys that actually taught themselves. There was less uh, structured football you know you played for your local club team and then you'd sort of bat, back up for your rep team on a Sunday and that was about it um, you know even when I was young I mean I don't remember really getting coached a lot it was more playing out the back with my mates and my brothers and and watching a lot of TV and you know when I was younger I took a great interest in the game and um, that's what we want we want these young kids to be watching football watching A-League watching international football because I used to watch, um, you know, back in the day, Trevor Booking or, you know, Alan Devonshire or Tony Curry. And you know, people don't know who these names are, mate. Right. I, was like, I was like eight years old, you know, watching you know, English football and, and thinking, oh, I was dreaming of the day I, I might be able to play like that one day. You know? so, They're trying to hold the aerial at the same time. That's why I good old black and white TV. You remember those days. You're a bit younger than me, yeah. but seriously... Yeah. Um, so really, how do we engage the kids? Look, there's a huge interest in the game here. You look at the participation rates. You look at, and there's a lot of well-intentioned people you know, at, at local clubs, at NPL clubs and so on. But we need funding, and, and funding has to flow down, and that's another argument. Yeah, people you know, have this um, simplistic view that, um, oh, yeah, let's just cut the cost of football. That's fantastic. But then you, you're not going to get good people working in the game unless they're volunteering, right? So what are they going to do? Um, you know, most of the revenues are going to start going to private operators, you know, guys with expertise. And there's a lot of them out there who run really good academies. And, you know, th- th- we can't fund them in, in a more sort of an institutionalised um, manner. So they've got to go out and set up their own businesses. And now all of a sudden they're responsible for development. And, the, you know, the answer to your question around A-League club, well, they don't operate into, in, the, in the, you know, the under sevens to under, you know, 12s. Um, they're not yeah, allowed yeah. to. They're not they're allowed, allowed to. to. The like FAs that. don't allow it. Exactly. Right, look, personally, I think there's too much intervention in, in the game. That's my personal opinion. I, I think that you know, if you look at funding, right, you know, it's $1,500 to play SAP. You know, FFA take a portion of that. Football New South Wales or the governing, governing body take a portion of that. Or GST's taken out of that. You've got... Um, you know, you know we, we've got a beautiful ground that we, we train on, which costs us a bomb. So you're, you know, you're talking about large costs associated with the venues. You've got the gear. You've got coaches. You've got to have eight coaches. 
in uh, under nines, tens, elevens, twelves, all up, eight coaches you've got to fund, right? Um, and then people are saying, oh yeah, let's just cut it down to you know five hundred dollars. You cut that down to five hundred dollars. There's no coaches. So where are you? How are you going to fund these people? So I agree, football should be for free. I totally agree with that. But where's our funding model? It's not top down at the moment. So how do we how do we do it? I take it. It's a fantastic point you raise because so I've read you guys a couple of statistics here. So around two million people are playing football in Australia at the moment. Among children between the ages of six and thirteen, there's a participation rate of forty eight percent, making it one of yep. if not the most popular sport with younger demographics. If you look at the funding that football received in 21-22, it was just under $8 million. That's less than basketball, swimming, sailing, hockey, athletics, and cycling, which had $14.5 million worth of funding. How can that possibly be allowed to happen? Given this World Cup campaign, you've just seen what the game could do if it was backed more. Can you Can you see that changing? Well, it should change. We need, I mean, we need to lobby. We need to... Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of politics in the game. Well, politics everywhere, right? With, the, you, know, um, you know, whatever industry you're in. But uh, we need to lobby for this funding. We need to get more funding. I mean, they're talking about... You talk about those participation rates. It's absolutely massive. And it's outrageous that we get such a low proportion of that funding. And, um, you know, that, obviously that's got to, you know, be in the hands of the FFA and governing bodies and so on to ensure that we get our fair share. Um, and look at what the Socceroos have done. Um, you know, look at all the, uh, you know, from 2006. We've been in the last five World Cups. Um, we're doing very well. But uh, we need to leverage that. Um, but that comes down to influence, doesn't it? Power, influence. Um, how do we get this money? And, um, you know, corporate sponsorship. We've got the Matildas next year at the World Cup at home. I mean, surely, you know, people need to recognise that we, the game is the biggest sport. It's the biggest sport in the world. It's the biggest it's potentially the biggest game in the country here. But we're not like the rugby league and AFL um, organisations where they get a lot of top-down funding. I mean, they're talking, uh, you know, $2.2 billion worth of funding based on TV revenues, and we don't have that at the moment. But there's got to be a solution somewhere. Because what happens now is that we're all, you know, people are criticising the fact that parents are paying for this, you know, but um, how do we fund it? I mean, my daughter goes to, to dancing, and I pay twenty grand a year, and nobody balks at that, right? But... Um, the local kids at the park should play for free. I agree with that. Uh, there's an answer somewhere. There's an answer somewhere. Hey, Tech Engine, thank you very much. Former Socceroo, now St. George City Technical Director. Appreciate your insights on this. It's a fascinating topic, so thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Hey, Tech. No worries, guys. Thank you. All the best. Now, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, download Keep Up, the home of everything A-Leagues, where you can watch the new docuseries A-Leagues All Access. This week's episode is Melissa Barbieri. I've already seen a snippet of it. It's a certainly one you don't want to miss. Meanwhile, today on Keep Up, Jason Cummings puts the call out to the fans to turn up at the Isuzu A-League men's games this weekend. The competition does resume. Cammy Devlin explains how he ended up with Lionel Messi's jersey. I asked him those questions last night. His responses <laughs> are gold dust. Remember, it was Lionel Messi's 1,000th game. He somehow snagged I've the got, jersey as well. I've got a story for you on that one, by the Go way. On. Someone has actually... I got a phone call today. Someone has actually called Cammy Devlin up and offered him half a million dollars for the jersey. There you go. There's an exclusive for you. <laughs> and you know who that will have to go through as well? It's his dad because he told me last night at the airport 
that he didn't want to put the the jersey in his um, in his checked in baggage because he was so scared that it might go missing. So he gave it to his dad to take on in his carry on and kept it with Incredible. him the whole way. So the Devlins could be a certainly uh, a certainly bit bit richer. That's for sure. That's all available on the Keep Up app or at keepup.com.au. Coming up, we're going through a full preview of tomorrow morning's round of 16 clashes as Spain face a potential banana skin against Morocco. Portugal and Cristiano Ronaldo take on Switzerland. That's coming up with me, James Dodd, Scott McDonald on The Global Game. Boston on the left here for Korea into the box. Second chance comes up. A strike oh, nice, and a great save nice from Allison. And then a goal line clear Follow from Marquinhos. Twice. And then out over the byline. Kaoru Mitoma, next up for Japan. Right-footed strike, and it's been saved again by Livakovic. He has guessed right again. So it's 2-1 in the shootout after three each. Here's Maya Yoshida, the captain of Japan. It's been saved by Dominic Livakovic. Welcome back to the Global Game on SEN. Those were today's great saves for Schnitz, the best hands in the schnitzel business. Schnitz handcrafted schnitzels. Okay, let's get stuck into tomorrow's round of 16 clashes at the FIFA World Cup, shall we, Scotty? First up, Spain against Morocco. Morocco have conceded one goal in this tournament. And I did my research earlier. They've only faced or allowed five shots on goal in all three games they've played so far. So is this a banana skin? Is this a slip up for Spain here, do you think? Well, they're in great form, aren't they? Like you said, they're solid. Very difficult to break down. However, I'll give you another stat as well. African nations have lost nine of the 10 knockout games against European sides. So does that throw a spanner in your works, Dodsy, or what? (laughs) Eh? Absolutely. Listen, on Spain, we know that Luis Enrique, they're going to play the same way every single time, right? Sometimes that's to the detriment. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, against the game against, against Japan. Germany, they didn't flatter to the, well, they flattered to deceive in that game, and then they thumped Costa Rica in the first game. If you're Luis Enrique, do you stick Alvaro Morata up front for this one, or do you think he's going to go for Asensio in that kind of false nine role? No, I think he's got to go with Morata. He scored in the you know the last game, didn't he, against Japan? Mm. Um, for me, it was crazy that he took him off. You're trying to score a goal and you take your centre forward off. Um, that's another story completely. We'll talk about that at some other point about centre forwards and, and the art of it and, and it's dying. <laughs> so hopefully it comes back. But no, he's got to play. And, and look, it gives you something different for that. The variation of what you're talking about, how he plays and how his team plays. But that first half against Japan, if you watch them, what absolutely, like, you're thinking World Cup champions, here we go, they're playing beautiful football. Then the second half against Japan, totally different team. So, um, look, Morocco will come and de- try and destroy. ZX, obviously, they're, they're talisman, they're, they're top player. He's been excellent in this tournament. Chelsea wish he would do the same for them. Um, but, look, there's no easy games, like I said. It's going to be a hard one. But, look, if Spain get their noses in front, I don't see them making the same mistake twice. Very quickly, Scotty Mack, Portugal against Switzerland. Portugal, the favourites here. Can you see a slip up for them or do you think Switzerland could cause a shock? I tell you what, this is an extra time all over it for me. Portugal like to do things difficult and I think they'll do it again. And I wouldn't put it past that man who's been sulking to to come up with the goods either. Ronnie, he's our man. (laughs) That is it for the Global Game tonight. Scotty and I will be back tomorrow night from 10pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time or from 6pm on the podcast. Just search Global Game SEN. Coming up tonight on SEN, our coverage begins with the SEN Football Hub from 1.30am ahead of Morocco against Spain from 2 and then Portugal versus Switzerland from 6am. You won't miss a thing. Thanks for your company. We'll catch you tomorrow night on the Global Game.